Welcome to episode 52 of the March and Silva MMA show. Unfortunately, my co-host Lenny March is not here with me for this episode, but the show must go on. Today, we will be recapping the Santos versus Walker card from last week, and we're also going to be breaking down the card tomorrow between Dern and Rodriguez. So, let's get right into it, guys. First, we're going to recap Tiago Santos against Johnny Walker, and my goodness, this fight really let everybody down. Everybody and their mother thought this fight would not see a fourth round. Nonetheless, the judges scorecards. So when it got there, it was very annoying because both guys respected each other far too much. And let's be honest, ever since Tiago Santos had double knee surgery, I don't think he has the same kind of confidence that he had before that. And on the other side, Johnny Walker he had a super long layoff and it appears that the guys over at SPG Ireland have reinvented Johnny Walker. He strayed away from what brought him to the dance. He's not that aggressive anymore. Now he's basically just a point fighter. I hope we don't see this Johnny Walker too much moving forward because it's really not entertaining and he was very low output. Also, Tiago Santos in the first round, he was very much a point fighter as well, so... I was thinking maybe Johnny Walker wins this after the first round, but no. Tiago Santos turns things around with a body kick, and he continuously landed the bigger punches, which swayed the judges. Johnny Walker actually had a little bit more volume when things ended, but it didn't matter because he was not trying to land anything with the worst of intentions like Tiago Santos was. Tiago Santos landed the most significant strike of the entire fight in the fifth round, and that's what really made me decide that he had won the fight. I had it even coming to the fifth. It was a very tough fight to score. Uh, I don't know how anyone could have scored for Johnny Walker. Um, some people were just expecting bad judging to come into play here, but uh, thank goodness it didn't, and the right man won. But uh, yeah, really weird fight, and these aren't very enjoyable, but believe you me, I was on the edge of my seat the entire fight, just waiting for something crazy to happen, and it never did. Very unfortunate. Um, Tiago Santos, I feel like he really has to work on himself mentally because some, something's missing there after those knee surgeries, man. I believe that the Tiago Santos of old would not have fought this way. I, I believe he would have just knocked a Johnny Walker's block off, man. I really think he would have. But uh, really, really weird fight, and we'll just move on to another weird fight. The co-main event featured Kevin Holland against Kyle Dawkins. This has been talked about ad nauseum by every other MMA podcast, so I won't go too deep into it. There was an accidental clash of heads in the first round, and instead of stopping the action like a sensible referee probably should have, Dammer Gladys said, uh, let me look at that again. But the th this is very confusing to me because he saw it. He saw it. And the reason he didn't stop the action was because Kevin Holland was defending himself. Of course he's going to defend himself. It's a fight. They're, the fighters are being told to defend themselves at every moment in there. So it was just instinctual on Kevin Holland's part. He was legitimately knocked out by that headbutt. And right after, we see Kyle Dawkins get a rear naked choke. If Kyle Dawkins was awarded that victory... That would be one of the most illegitimate wins in UFC history because Kevin Holland was very clearly compromised. The guy had been slept by that headbutt and Kaldakis took advantage of that and uh, got the submission. 
This fight is, of course, now rebooked for November, I believe. So, I'm really looking forward to that. And Kevin Holland was not taken down in this fight. So, oh, wait. He was taken down one time. But it was just to a knee. And he got right back up. So, we saw some slight improvements from Kevin Holland. And I believe that is enough. I, I believe I got enough of my questions answered, to be honest. And this one about Kevin Holland's takedown defense. Because if Carl Dacus got those takedowns, yeah, that, that would have been a bad fight for Kevin. But Kevin defended four takedowns. So I think Kevin Holland will really mess them up on the feet when they fight. I believe Kevin Holland is definitely the better striker than Kyle. And my pick would be a second round KO for Kevin Holland when they have that rematch. Kyle Dawkins, um, he did good, but he did good against the guy that was recently unconscious. So, I, re I really can't compliment the, two the guy too much. And, uh, yeah, I'll just have to detract from Dan Rigliata's, you know, my opinion of him. Because that was just a bad call overall, and the replay was completely unnecessary when the guy recognized that it had happened, and the guy started defending himself because it's a fight. You got to defend yourself, so... Bad call from Dan. Thank goodness Herb Dean talked some sense into him because he was going to let the call just stand. And that would have been terrible. That would have been a real stain on this event. But uh, that about wraps it up. I don't want to go crazy on that fight because there's a lot to say. Moving on. Alex Oliveira lost to Nico Price by unanimous decision. This fight uh, was not as crazy as I thought it would have been, you know. Until that third round, those guys really started swinging the leather. But before that, it was actually quite grapple-heavy. Nico Price, I knew Nico Price could definitely get some takedowns here. Because Alex Oliveira has just not been showing up in the best of form as of late. If Alex Oliveira looked like he did in the second round of the whole fight, he would have won the fight. But that was not the case here. And Nico Price made him taste that power and just turn things around. And he did get the win, in my opinion, probably with that takedown. Late in the fight. Nico Price is always down to fight. He'll fight anybody. Very entertaining to watch. Called out the Diaz brothers. I wouldn't mind either of them fighting them. Nico Price is just not capable of having boring fights. This fight, as I said, was not as crazy as we thought it was. But, you know, not everything can level up to your expectation as we learned in that main event once again. But a good win for Nico Price here. He needed the win. And this might be... Alex Oliveira's last UFC fight. He's had a tough stretch. I believe he's like 2-7 and seven in his last 9. Something like that. He's he's not on the best run of his career. He's super inconsistent. And uh, would I like for him to stick around? Sure. But uh, I, I don't know if the UFC would keep him around. After showing poor form uh, on several occasions. But then again, they, they're keeping Sam Alvey around from the looks of it. And that guy is on a 7 fight. Seven fight run with no wins, man. That's crazy. So who knows what's in the future for Alex Oliveira. But I know for a fact that a fun fight is in Nico Price's future. Moving on. Misha Serkinov lost to Christoph Jotko by split decision. This fight was a, a strange clash of styles. Misha Serkinov was moving down from light heavyweight for this one. And his whole game plan, you know, was to get that takedown and to get the submission Problem was, Christoph Jotko's takedown defense held up continuously. 
Misha Serkinov, uh, once he got things to the ground a couple times, he actually got five takedowns in this fight. He was unable to really do anything. I was actually really impressed with Kristoff Chatko because I really never thought too highly of his grappling defensively or offensively. Really hasn't gotten tested like crazy down there. And I was thinking Misha Serkinov has gotten takedowns against these big light heavyweights and submitted them. But Jocko just didn't allow it to happen. And a lot of people were actually thinking that the weight cut affected Misha Serkinov's performance here because he did slow down. He was slowing down a light heavyweight as well, so I don't know if that's the case. I feel like uh, he might have to have a couple more fights in middleweight to really feel like himself. But yeah, frustrating performance, I would imagine, for Misha because... He was just hoping to get that submission, and uh, he could not get it And on, on the feet. Uh, Jotko, Jotko basically matched him strike for strike, but he had the more impactful strikes in the end. And uh, that's what got him the win here. Misha Serkinov, uh, I believe he does have a really good skill set that could get him into the top 15. But Jotko is just not a good matchup for it, looking back. And uh, I think Jotko... I, I kind of wrote him off a little bit after the recent losses where he was just not looking good at all. But hey, with the right matchup, Jocko can look really good, man. I would like to see that UR Hall rematch at some point because he did get a knockdown before he was knocked out. I, I think that would be a cool matchup to see somewhere down the line. Moving on. Alexander Hernandez knocked out Mike Breeden in the first round in spectacular fashion. This was exactly what I thought would happen, as I told you guys last week. Alexander Hernandez, he has a win over the number three lightweight in the world. And Mike Breeden could not even get a f win on a contender series. Mike Breeden's not a UFC-level guy. And Alexander Hernandez treated him like that. He sat him down in just a minute 20. And that's what a guy like Alexander Hernandez should do to Breeden. Uh, not much to say here, except I want to see Hernandez... Get the fight with uh, Leonardo Santos that was supposed to happen. I believe uh, that would be a good showcase once again for Alexander Hernandez. And uh, it would be a good way to set him up for another uh, fight that could possibly get him to the top 15. Because as I said, he, he very well could be top 5 on the right night. Just saying. Uh, moving on to the prelims. Joe Selecki, he, beat, he lost to Jared Gooden by split decision. I told you guys, pick Jared Gordon in this one. I don't think Joe Selecki should be a favorite here. And I was right. Jared Gordon looked really good out there. I'm telling you guys, this guy really only loses when he gets slept. And Joe Selecki does not have the power in his hands to put him away. So what happened here? Jared Gordon was actually better on the feet and on the ground. The first round, don't get me wrong, that was shaky. Joe Selecki really was able to control him in that first round, but... Jared Gordon made the right adjustments, and he was the better offensive grappler in rounds two and three. Some of those rounds were close, though, but um, Jared Gordon very clearly won that, in my opinion. He was a little busier everywhere, and that's what got him the win here. So, very impressive stuff from Jared Gordon. Call out Patty. Patty says yes on Twitter, and Patty then signs the contract for another fight. So, I don't know what was up with that, but... I'm, I'm very excited to see Jared Gordon's next fight because he continues to improve, man. A lot of people, they look at training guys and, and they just don't see him making it too far in the sport. 
Jared Gordon is just one of those guys that you cannot underestimate because this guy's not a quitter, man. He'll fight until he's got all of them, all of them beat out there. And he showed that after he lost that first round and came back and won rounds two and three. So good stuff from Jared Gordon there. Impressive performance. Moving on to another impressive performance. Casey O'Neill got a second round TKO over Antonina Shevchenko. And my goodness, I could not be more impressed with Casey O'Neill. Casey O'Neill, I knew she was better on the ground for a fact. I actually picked her to win by round three submission. And she actually would have gotten a submission in this fight had she not recognized the fact that the UFC hands more bonuses out for knockouts rather than submissions. She could have easily gotten a rear naked choke. But she just continued to pound on Antonina until the ref waved it off. I saw clear improvements in striking defense from Casey O'Neill in this one. I thought there would be a situation where she gets cracked badly. And that kind of didn't happen. And once it hit the floor, Shevchenko's get of game is it's not good, man. She's older and compared to her sister, we're just, we're just in different leagues, man. Shevchenko got into the grappling later and she's just several steps behind from her sister her sister can take down people and just pound them up and uh Shevchenko of course she did that to Ariane Lipsky but that's Ariane Lipsky so Casey O'Neill on the other hand she's no joke man she trains that extreme couture there's a lot of girls that love to wrestle we're talking Cynthia Calvillo Misha Tate many others these girls have Casey O'Neill's wrestling on point also, Cody Stamen as well. They, they say that they have competitive grappling all the time. So, I think very highly of Casey O'Neill. She's undefeated. Most of her wins are by finishes. And I really love her because she's so aggressive. A lot of these women, I, I don't know what the deal is, but they're not they're nowhere near as aggressive as Casey O'Neill. They kind of look for control time when it's on the ground. But not Casey O'Neill. She will power you out, man. And that's what she's getting against. Antonina Shevchenko, one of the one of the people that I see kind of now as a gatekeeper in this division, because it's very clear that she's not she's not even top ten to be honest. So Casey O'Neill really proved me, be, uh, proved me right here because a lot of people are saying that Casey O'Neill probably gets outstruck here or maybe even finished, but that was not the case. I thought this was. Uh, too, a little bit too big of a leak coming into his. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know if Casey gets this done. But in the end, Casey did get it done. And I'm very happy to see her win. I'm sure she fights Valentina at some point. But that will not be competitive. Let's be honest. Valentina probably retires with that championship around her waist. Moving on. Beshka Heda had a retirement fight against Carol Hosa. This was an awesome performance by Carol Hosa. This is what we've come to expect from Carol. She's super high output. She's mean and she's so aggressive out there. And she kept on looking for that flying knee. Unfortunately, Betch Kajeda has proven to be fairly durable. She she went two and a half rounds with uh, Aldana. She fought Mary Renault to a draw. Historically very tough and uh, she showed it out there. My goodness, she got... Butchered out there by Carol Hosa. I was super confident in Carol Hosa getting this done. Because she's so high output. Man, that, that high output will really get you a long way, of course, if you're accurate. And uh, I think Carol Hosa is a future contender. 
I don't think a man that sticks around for many more years in the Spanish division, John Anik has stated that her weight cut is very, just very uncomfortable and it really takes a toll on her. Hence the the performance against, um, who was it? The Danish kickboxer, Jermaine Durandamy, back at UFC 245, where she definitely slowed down and I believe uh, featherweight Nunes probably f finishes that fight. But uh, I believe Carol Hosa if Nunes walks away, I think she could be a future champion. That's how high I think of her. I really like her output. I like her cardio. And I cannot wait to see her get back in there. And here's what I think should be her next fight. I think Macy Shiasan should be her next fight. Macy Shiasan lost her fight with Aspen Ladd. Aspen couldn't make Bantamweight. And now she's booked at Featherweight. So we have Macy Shiasan ready to fight. With no opponent, I believe the opponent should be Carajosa. She really didn't take too much damage in this fight. I would like to see it. Moving on. Devontae Smith was finished by Jamie Malarkey in the second round by TKO. This was a great performance by Jamie Malarkey. I'm so impressed with the guy. The, the guy's such a dog, man. He'll take one to give one. In the first round, he got rocked. Clearly lost that round. But once that second round came around, he destroyed Devontae Smith with body shots and just broke the guy. He fought him until he fell down, and that's what happened here. And I'm so impressed with Jamie Markey. This is one of the most entertaining fighters in this lightweight division. Ever since he made that debut against Brad Riddell, I knew this guy was going to be must-watch. This guy is so entertaining to watch, and he's not a quitter, man. He will not quit on himself. He'll fight until the very last bell. That's what I love about the guy. Excellent finish and well-deserved performance of the night bonus. Moving on. Douglas Silva de Andrade knocked out Gaetano Perello in the first round. This was the best knockout of the night. Douglas, Andrade Sil Douglas Silva de Andrade. He spent a lot of time at featherweight. But maybe Benweight might have been the division for him all along. Sure, he, he's got a good record at both weight classes. But... My goodness, this power is a game changer in this division. Itano Pirello fancied himself a striker. He had a striking background. And what happens here? Douglas DeAndrade lets his hands go and he sends Gaetano flying. This is a really powerful guy in Douglas Silva DeAndrade. But he's fought some really tough guys. So he kind of don't really get to see the power showcase. And he showed it off here. The guy's built like a tank, man. It appears that the weight cut is not easy for him at all. The, the guy's super muscular. But, man, that power is very impressive. Uh, Gaetano really ha didn't have, like, major durability issues heading into this one. And Douglas just cracked him and put him away in two minutes. So, very impressive by Douglas Silva Josh. And I hear he's booked against Sergey Morozov for February 12th next year. So, I can't wait for that fight. That's going to be a fun matchup. And uh, can't wait for it, man. Moving on. Stephanie Egger got a second round TKO over Shannon Young. This is kind of what I expected from Stephanie Egger. If she was as good as I thought she was. And she is, man. Shannon Young had a really long layoff. She had a child. And it looks like that might have affected her here. Stephanie Egger easily got the takedowns. And once it was on the ground, Shannon Young just didn't really have any answers. She got pounded out real bad, and this was an early stoppage. There's no doubt about it. 
Mark Smith stopped this fight too early, but Shannon Young's body language somewhat justified it. She was not necessarily fighting back that much. There's an argument for it, but uh, personally, you know, I like to take I like to see people take a couple extra just to see if they can they can make somewhat of a comeback. But uh, would she have made a comeback? I don't know. But uh, nice to see Stephanie Edgar get a finish here in the UFC and. I believe her ceiling is higher than I once thought it was. So, impressive performance once again by Egger here. Early stoppage, but nonetheless, good performance. Moving on to the open in the night. This was one of my most confident picks in the night. I picked Alejandro Perez to beat Johnny Eduardo. I thought he would finish him in the second round, and he did. I thought he would actually get a knockout here because Johnny Eduardo, he's 43, man. That chin is probably gone. That's what I was thinking. But uh, it really wasn't, to be honest. He took a couple good shots from Perez early. And he actually got more volume in the first round. This was actually a, a win for Perez with a negative strike differential. Eduardo, of course, has been submitted 10 times now. The guy's a black belt. He's got a ton of wins by submission. But he's not great defensively on the ground. And once Perez realized that on the feet... He probably wasn't going to win this. He just got a takedown. After, after Eduardo got a takedown, he was like, let me make this even. Let me take it to the ground. And Eduardo presented the opportunity for that on bar. And Perez took it. And he got it quite easily. Very impressive to see Perez get a submission here. Uh, after, you know, historically being a guy who just loves to strike. So, really impressive to see Perez get a win here after a long layoff. And Eduardo has now been cut. The, the guy, of course, is a 43-year-old bandwagon. Dana White has made it very clear that he's not interested in having older guys um, in the UFC. I expect Randy Brown to put on a stellar performance. Look really good out there. Moving on to the next fight. Tim Elliott is fighting Mateus Nicolau. This is a very exciting fight at flyweight. Tim Elliott has really only lost to top of the chain guys recently. When we're talking about flyweight contenders, he lost to Davison Figueroa, Brandon Roy Val, Askar Askarov, man. These guys are really good. And Mateus Nikola, I believe he's amongst them, man. He did get cut from the UFC, but he came back and he beat a former rising champion in Manal Cop. Did he actually beat him, in my opinion? No. He got cracked. But that, that's the thing with Mateus Nikola. He really only loses when his chin gets cracked. When he's fighting a really, really talented striker. I don't think Tim Elliott is much of a talented striker. And on the ground, Tim Elliott could do really good things in this fight. I believe he could get a takedown. And maybe Mateus Nikolaou could try to play jiu-jitsu off his back. And possibly have a Mateus lose rounds that way. But I believe Mateus Nikolaou is the better BJJ guy. But he just had to be the guy in control here. Uh, Mateus Nikolaou probably beats up Tim Elliott on the feet for sure. But um, on the ground, it's uh, it's very close. But uh, Mateus Nikolaou has to be the guy that's being offensive. Because if uh, Tim Elliott gets the takedown like he did in the Jordan Espinosa fight and just decides to stay in half guard, uh, Mateus Nikolaou is just trying to find a submission and doesn't get it. It could be a bad night for Mateus, but... I think Mateus beats up Tim Elliott on the feet, mixes in the takedowns, and wins this fight very decisively. 
Uh, I would like to see Mateus Nikolaou get a step up in competition once again after this one because I believe when he was cut, it was unjustified. He got knocked out by Dustin Ortiz. But uh, besides that, I think I think that this guy has a really bright future ahead of him. And he showed it when he fought Manel Cop. And uh, that's that's a rematch I would like to see at some point too. Moving on, Sabina Mazo against Marina Agapova. These two are coming off of losses. They weren't seen as super bright prospects. They could still be. I believe uh, Sabina Mazo has a brighter future than Mariah Agapova. Mariah Agapova, she lost as an enormous underdog against Shannon Dobson. I believe she was like minus 1,500, something crazy. And realistically, she wins that fight nine times out of ten, I would think so. But Shannon Dobson stuck in there, and in the second round, she turned things around and got the TKO. And I cannot <laughs> pick Maria Agapova really ever again against uh, one of these better flyweights after that fight. Because I just, I see clear fight IQ problems. I see clear cardio problems. Those are issues that Sabina Mazo does not exactly have. Sure, fight IQ kind of an issue for Sabina, but on the cardio side, it's really not much of a problem. She actually has better rounds later in the fight when she fought Alexis Davis. Alexis Davis beat her up with the calf kick, got a lot of control time. I don't think Mariah Gapova can win the decision here. Just kind of a, a round one and a half kind of fighter. She'll fight you very much hoping to get the finish. And she doesn't, uh, it's, it doesn't look that great for her. Sabina Mazo, uh, she's more of a point fighter. I believe she gets this one done by unanimous decision. I think she cracks Agapova more and more as the fight goes on. Agapova probably can bag in the first round, but after that, I think Sabina takes over and, uh, just goes out there with super high output and tags her bad. Agapova, I don't know what's going on in her personal life, but, uh, Mariah Moroz has said that uh, she has some substance issues, that uh, she was kicked out of ATT, she was having some wild behavior. That might be something to look out for too. We don't know what the commitment is exactly in fighting. And she's no longer at ATT, so she's not as good of a, she's not at a good of a camp as she once was. Uh, Sabina Mazo, on the other hand, over at Kings MMA, we know that that gym's super legit. And uh, I'm sure Sabina is only getting better over there. And the future is bright for her. Moving on. Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez is fighting Felipe Kolaris. I love this fight. Because uh, Felipe Kolaris always fights his soul out. He will never quit. This guy has taken unbelievable amounts of damage in his last couple fights. And he, he will not go down, man. This guy is damn near unstoppable. And he's fighting a guy in Chris Gutierrez who has such an elite tool in those leg kicks, those calf kicks. My goodness, he never looked better than he did against Andrew Ewell earlier this year. He had a showtime leg kick. Who does that, man? Chris Gutierrez is uh, very impressive when he's fighting a guy who's not great at checking those kicks. And that was Ewell for damn sure. But uh, Felipe Kalarsh, on the other hand, I believe he presents a tough challenge for Chris here because he's got that grappling advantage here for sure. Chris Gutierrez, he did get 10-8'd by Cody Durden, a flyweight, uh, just last year. 
And uh, I did score that at 10-8. I agreed with the judges. That was a draw. Uh, Felipe Collars could definitely do that. And he could also get a submission here. Who knows? Uh, Collars is a black belt for, for goodness sake. So uh, that's a real possibility. But, um, man, Felipe Collars is just defensively irresponsible. Always leaves himself open. So it's hard for me to pick him here. So I will go with Chris Gutierrez to win this fight by split decision. I think this fight is going to be closer than a lot of people think. I don't think Chris Gutierrez should be a minus 260 as he stands right now. Uh, Kolaris is not a bad bet, but man, just very defensively responsible. As we've seen against Montel Jackson and Luke Sanders. So it's hard to pick the guy up based off of that. And uh, the pick here is Gutierrez by split decision. Uh, using that, of course, elite tool that are those leg kicks. Moving on, Alexander Romanov is fighting Jared Vandera at heavyweight. This fight is very intriguing uh, because Romanov is undefeated, but he's barely undefeated. Let, let me tell you, Juan Espino had his number when they fought. Juan Espino was stuffing those takedowns, and in the third round, Romanov was slowing down to an unbelievable rate. He was basically done. And we learned that once we saw a graze of the of the groin area. And the fight was, of course, the action was stopped. And Romanov decided to just lay down. And he told the referee that he did not recover. Therefore, we were stopped in the third round. And they read out the technical decision scorecard. And I was shocked when Romanov was declared the winner. Romanov, he took his way out in the fight. And uh, he, he's not like Felipe Collars, who was fight till the bitter end. Uh, Romanov, uh, he found a way out in that fight, and he got it. And Van Dare, on the other hand, he, I believe he's definitely the tougher guy in here. And uh, it might be too tough for his own good at times, as we saw against Sergey Spivak. Spivak got those takedowns and mauled him. It was a brutal beating. I remember a lot of people criticizing Cristagnoni after that fight, saying that it was stopped too late. Um, I believe that Romanov can execute a similar game plan here, but the worry here is that if he doesn't get that finish in the second round and we see a third round, I think Jared Vandera can punish him, man. Jared Vandera looked so impressive against Justin Toff. I thought Justin Toff would be able to lay him out there. And... uh it didn't really matter because Jared Vandera had a crazy output in that fight. I thought Jared Vandera had the grappling advantage in that fight. Really didn't look for takedowns and just had higher volume in that fight. And uh, very impressive. But um, the thing with Vandera is takedown defense isn't great. So Romanov probably takes him down in Malton. But as I said, if we see a third round, I think Vandera can put a serious beating on him. Because I'm not impressed with Romanov's, Romanov's cardio. And that uh, Espino fight was not too long ago. So I don't think he's had long enough time to fix those conditioning issues. But the pick will still be roaming out by second round TKO. Just because I think uh, Vandera, we've kind of seen what could happen to him when he's fighting a big old heavyweight that loves to pound guys out on the ground like Sergey Spivak. Is Romanov as good as Spivak? No, but I think I think he, he can definitely pull it off here. The guy's so massive and strong. Uh, they call him King Kong for a reason. Moving on. Charles Rosa is fighting Damon Jackson. And this fight is so intriguing for me. 
because uh, before watching any tape for this, I, before doing any real research, I was thinking, man, whilst Charles Rose is such an underdog, he's had 10 UFC fights already. And Damon Jackson, man, uh, in his UFC run, he got the third round submission against Mursad Bektic, but before that, completely dominated. And against Ilya Taporia, he was starched, straight up starched. But when you really look at it, Damon Jackson is a slick grappler, man. This this guy's so aggressive on the ground. And when he's not getting finishes himself, he's getting finished. So um, this fight is a recipe for excitement, I believe. But Charles Rosa, on the other hand, when he fights a better grappler, things just don't go well for him. And the takedown defense is not good either. So I believe um, this will be a fairly dominant performance by Damon Jackson. If he pursues the takedown constantly and uh, gets the control time. Charles Rosa impressed me in the James fight. I actually thought that James would be able to put away Charles Rosa there. But uh, he actually showed his durability in that fight. And also he was stuck in a deep arm triangle. He was able to get out of that too. Also when he fought Bryce Mitchell. He was in some bad spots in that fight. Bryce Mitchell is one of the nastiest grapplers in the UFC. And Charles Rosa was defensively responsible in that fight. And he did not get submitted. I think this might be a similar fight in Damon Jackson against uh, Charles. Uh, I don't think Damon is as good as Bryce Mitchell on the ground. But I think he's a little close. And I think that's enough to beat Charles Rosa here. If it stays on the feet, I believe Charles Rosa is definitely a better striker here. Uh, I really like uh, Charles Rosa's switch stance styles. He can be a traditional boxer or he can... Have the karate stance and uh, switch things up. That's it's always a good tool for a fighter to be able to switch things up if something's not working out. Um, but uh, Charles Rosa has had such an up and down UFC career. He's lost one, won one. He's traded wins and losses his entire UFC run here. And uh, I believe that this will continue with Damon Jackson getting a unanimous decision victory here. And understand why he's minus 175 in this spot now. Moving on. Lupe Godinez is fighting Gomez Suarez. I believe that Lupe Godinez got in the UFC a little too early. Sure, she was an Invicta champion. But uh, her big showcase fight in Invicta was um, against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. And Vanessa Demopoulos is just not a great defensive fighter here. And uh, Gomez Juarez here, on the other hand, I believe she is. She's got more experience than Godinez. She's older. And I believe that will really come into play here. As well as, as, well as her 4-inch reach advantage. I think Gomez Juarez is ever so slightly the better striker here. On the ground, I think Lupi Godinez wins this fight. If it hits the ground, but... Lupe Godinez has shown a poor fight IQ. If you remember the Jessica Penny's fight, she kept on giving up her back, and that's what lost her the fight. In my opinion, Lupe did enough to win the decision, but those judges saw the control time adding up for Penny, and they decided to give it to her. So, um, there's definitely some uh, fight IQ issues on the Godinez side. Those are issues that I, I don't think Gomez Juarez would have. Gomez Juarez has actually fought some decent competition. She was one of uh she was one of Ariane Lipsky's KSW opponents. She fought her in a five round title fight. Uh very durable. 
And she also fought Pollyanna Botejo. Don't get me wrong, she lost those fights, but she's been in the mix with some of these better fighters. But uh, but some of the other fights she had, sure, those those were lower-level fighters. Fighters definitely worse than Lupi Godinez. But uh, I, I think she's she's got more experience. She's got the reach. I think that's enough to beat, uh, to beat Lupi if Lupi does not go for takedowns that much. Because I think Goldman Suarez has got the best takedown defense or get-up game. So uh, Godinez could make this fight close with the takedowns. But uh, I will be picking Goldman Suarez to win a split decision here as a plus 220 underdog. I cannot believe that we're seeing Goldman Suarez as this, this big of an underdog when she's got a clear uh, experience advantage. So I think that, that will take her far in this fight. And I'm picking her to win. Moving on. Steve Garcia is fighting Charlie Ontiveros in the opener of this card. This fight, this fight card is now just nine fights. Because Phil Hosley and Staron Wynn dropped off. Um, this is going to be a card that starts really early. It actually starts at noon here in uh, Chicago. And that is because of the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury trilogy is happening. I won't do a breakdown on this on this show. It is a MMA show. Uh, but I will say that Tyson Fury gets a really, really impressive decision victory. If not a TKO in the later rounds. Just had to put that out there. I've been thinking about that fight a long time. But nonetheless, Steve Garcia, he had a tough outing in his first UFC fight against Luis Pena. Luis Pena was able to easily backpack him and accrue the control time and basically dominate the fight that way. Um, Charlie Ontiveros, on the other hand, he had just as tough of a UFC debut. He fought Kevin Holland and... Uh, he was throwing out some wild spinning kicks and stuff. And Kevin Allen said, why well, figure out this puzzle on the feet when uh, this guy really has no ground game? And he slammed him on his neck. And uh, Charles Ontiveros uh, exclaims that his neck is uh, messed up and uh, they stopped the fight. I bet Kevin Holland to win by submission in that fight. I was I was bummed out. It was declared a TKO because uh, that was kind of a verbal submission. But nonetheless, Charles Ontiveros has been finishing all seven of his losses. Uh, there's definitely some durability issues. But, uh, man, he's fighting guy in Steve Garcia who who spent the, the bulk of his uh, MMA career at featherweight. So, um, Charlie Ontiveros spent the bulk of his career at welterweight. So, they're meeting in the middle at lightweight. Man, this is, uh, this is kind of weird because we got Steve Garcia as a 3-1 favorite here. But it's finally God that's definitely bigger. So um, that's the only thing that makes me pause here. The size difference. Uh, Charlie Ontiveros has said that he's always had a very easy weight cuts. He can, he can barely keep any weight on. So this was an easy transition. And of course he, he did make weight for this fight. So that definitely wasn't an issue. I think Steve Garcia has all, so much power man. I think, I think he can definitely put away Charlie Ontiveros here. Because, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, going down weight classes, that will mess with your chin, as many people have learned in the past. So, um, does Charlie Ontiveros have the same durability or worse durability at this weight class? I don't know. But I know Steve Garcia will have just as much power as he's had in his previous fights. I think that's enough to put away Charlie Ontiveros here um, in the second round. I believe this will be an entertaining fight. Charlie Ontiveros says he's bonus hunting. And, uh... 
that can be very bad for you if uh if you if you're not walking out with a W like Brandon Roy that was because against uh Kai Carter France if you remember he was just eating those shots man he did not care uh about winning that much necessarily just cared to entertain and uh that really doesn't work out too well for a lot of guys especially if you're not one of the elites and I really don't think Charlie Ontiveros is one of the elites I don't think he's UFC caliber he's, he's got a record of 11 and 7 not the prettiest record out there so um, I believe Charlie Ontiveros might get cut after this too, to be honest, because I think Steven Garcia gets a gets a really good finish here, and maybe he's the one walking out with the bonus. That about wraps it up for the UFC Fight Night Darren versus Rodriguez breakdown. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, make sure to let me know if you like the show on social media. You could find me on social media at MMA Heads on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. Uh, feel free to reach out. Give me any feedback. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Let me know. And that about wraps it up, guys. Make sure to enjoy the fight.